Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, or from your sheet there, in Ephesians chapter 3. We've been doing a series called Walking as Called. There won't be any slides tonight. That is um, my fault, but it's the way it goes tonight. Sometimes you have a busy week and you can't get everything done you want to do, as I'm sure you're well aware of. But um, we're doing this series called Walking as Called. I said it once, I'll say it again, but I have to say less each week, and that is... We're trying to look at the connection between what it looks like to actually be a Christian and to live out that Christian life. So walking is called. All this is going to make sense in about two weeks when we actually look at the text that says walk in a worthy manner of your calling. Okay, And we'll we'll put the point on it then, but until now, we're kind of looking at that. Now, Ephesians chapter 3 is a humongous text, but it's sort of like Paul has taken a pause on his train of thought. So he is going to actually pull the reins back on the middle of his argument in these verses here, and we're going to look at this little parenthetical comment that he's making. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, or when you read this more properly, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. This is God's Word. I pray that we would hear it and live. On Laura's birthday this year, I promised her that I was going to only work a half a day. It's February 16th this year, a couple weeks ago. Yes, I got her permission to share this story with you. Now, uh, I broke my promise. I had a busy day. And I had to do a lot of things. And so I didn't walk home, walk in through the doors till about 5.30. She was on the couch. Of course, you know, she's pregnant. She did not feel good. She was hoping that I would be there with her on her birthday. So she is sad. And I said, well, hey, how are you? And she goes, I'm sad. You promised me that you would come home about halfway through this day. And it's 5.30. And now you're walking through the doors. And I said, you're right. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, said, is anything else? She goes, you know, I said, is anything else going on? And she said, well, I just hope that you would be home today so we could go, maybe go get me an iPhone. It's her birthday. 
I talked to her about doing this, and we had, that had been in, in the air, and I thought, okay, she's upset because she wanted an iPhone. Okay. Well, we're off to dinner. We go off to dinner, and um, I have a plan, all right? We sit down, we have our dinner, and um, the food was so good, I thought. Laura, eh, not that big of a deal. And I shelled out some big bucks for her to not like her food. And then the desserts came. And the moment was coming. And as they laid down my succulent piece of pecan chocolate something or another, the waitress slid Laura a gift card that was black and had a silver shiny apple on it. I had gotten her a gift card for an iPhone and she was now receiving it. And I'm thinking, here it is. The secret's been going. Like my master plan hidden from her for the past couple hours that I've thrown her off course is coming. And I can't wait for that moment of excitement. And she looks at it and goes, thanks. (laughs) Moral of the story. Don't take your wife off on her birthday. Be nice to her. Point of the story. Sometimes, some of the best planned secrets fall flat on the heart. I'll say it again. Sometimes, some of the best planned secrets fall flat on the heart. Laura eventually said she was sorry. Okay, I forgave her. She said she was mean to me that night. And where we kissed and made up. That's what married couples do. The point is that Paul is saying in this very text that God Himself had a secret plan. And that this plan reveals who we truly are and the life for which we were made. It was something that was hidden and was now being brought to light. And this is what Paul means when he uses that word that you saw three times in this text, mystery. Mystery in our minds means something that's impossible to figure out. Calculus. Whatever else. It's a mystery to me. I can't fathom it. That's not what Paul means when he uses this word. Rather, he means something hidden that has now been revealed. And when it is revealed, it's a game changer. And it brings incredible joy and wonder. Hence, the iPhone illustration to my wife. Okay, That's what I was going for. What is the mystery that Paul, that, of Christ that Paul speaks about? Are you ready for it? Hold on to your seats. It's going to blow your mind. Here we go. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Voila! Sometimes, the best kept secrets fall flat on the heart. If you're like me, that doesn't sound like it's all that impressive. So that's why we need to look at it. It is a mystery after all. So we should pray. Before we do, Paul's going to say three things. No slides, so listen up. First of all, he's going to tell us three things about what it looks like to be, quote, mysterious people. People constrained by this mystery of Christ. Here they are, first. 
that outsiders are made insiders. Secondly, that your spiritual wealth has just skyrocketed. And thirdly, that you and me, if we are in Christ, are players on the cosmic stage. I'll say them again. Outsiders becoming insiders. Secondly, your spiritual wealth has just skyrocketed. And then thirdly, thirdly, you and me are players on the cosmic stage. We're going to look at each one of those, but we need to pray first. Pray with me. Our Lord, open our eyes because this truly is something that You have revealed to us that is meant to bring us great delight and great joy. So please, O Lord, open our eyes that it might impress upon our hearts the beauty and the wonder of the Gospel. We ask this in Your name, O Lord. Amen. Outsiders being made insiders. What in the world am I talking about? Look there at verse 6. He says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Now y'all, I need for you to listen up. I need for you to put on your thinking caps for just a second. Okay? Sometimes you got to think about what the Bible says. And this is one of those moments. So if you can, I need for you to hold on for just a second about what I'm about to tell you. Because for some of us, this just wants to go like this. Alright? Here's the deal. God long ago promised to Abraham, an Israelite, a Jew, that He was going to make a people out of His family line and that He was going to bless the world through it. You have to see me saying that. That it was going to be the Jewish people that were going to be and live in fellowship with God. And that the world was going to look on through the ages and look at Israel and say, who is their God? I want to be a part of that. And everybody else outside of Israel were called Gentiles. So if you today in your seat are not from a Jewish family, you are a Gentile. And you got here somehow because somebody was faithful. Somewhere down the line. Somebody was. You're a player in this story. Here's the deal though. Paul is saying that it's no longer ethnic Israel that is an heir to the promised Gospel. Nor is it those pagan Gentiles either. Rather, there is a third people. There's a third group of people that are called the body. Paul goes on to call it the church or the bride. And it consists of people who were ethnically Jewish and then from all other nations, tongues, tribes, and peoples as well. And that body is called the church. So if you are a Christian today, you're in that body, no matter what your ethnicity, race, color, male, female, it doesn't matter, you're in that body today. And Paul wants you to know that that right there is the thing that is absolutely stunning. Why? Because the Gentiles were always outsiders. And now they get in. 
They get in. And the way that they get in is through the Gospel. What is the Gospel? It is very simply the work that God has done in the person of Jesus to reconcile all peoples back to Himself. Think about it like this. I went to Boston about 10 years ago and we wanted to get some good Italian food. So it was like a Tuesday lunch. My friend Eric and I were walking through the Boston Italian community and there's guys out there who are like classic, you know? Like they got their arms crossed kind of leaning up against the wall of their storefront with a toothpick sort of picking out their teeth. And he goes, hey fellas, you guys hungry? Hey, come on in. Come. What do you want? I got it. And he's like selling and pitching his restaurant to us. And we're like, you know, we're two nice southern guys. We say, yeah, sure, this is great, man. Let's go on in. And when we come in, he starts snapping at the waitress. Hey, hey, get the boys some waters. Hey, hey, get... You want some bread? You want... Get, get him some bread. I told you to get him some bread. And he's like, you know, very angry at his wait staff, but he's loving on us fantastic feast we get up now the best part i gotta tell you he goes where are you boys from and i said uh well we're from tennessee and he goes tennessee you guys know john calipari now john calipari is the bas- was the basketball coach at memphis from umass you guys know john calipari i'm like you're right there's three people in the whole state of tennessee And we happen to be all of us buddies. No, sir, we don't know John Calipari. Great conversation. We finish our food. We walk out. And here's my point. He wraps his big, hairy arms around us, pulls us in, puts his hand behind my neck, gives me a slap, and kisses me on the cheek. And then he does it to Eric. And to both of us, he says, you're family now. Your family now. Southern, white, rednecks. Boston, Italians. He has brought me in. And Paul is saying the same thing. You and me were once outsiders. I don't care where you were on that spectrum. But you were outsiders because of sin, because of your selfishness, and now you have been made family. You're an insider. I want to ask you, I just want to drive this home. Do you believe this about yourself? That the most fundamental thing about you is that you are now an insider with God. That is what Paul is saying. That you have been, look, made partakers of the promise in verse 6. If you hear with us last week, we talked about all the things up in chapter 2 that you were a part of. That you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant, but now you're made partakers because of this new entity that you've been put in called the body. Outsiders made insiders. Secondly, your spiritual wealth has skyrocketed. That's the second thing of what it looks like to be a a mysterious person as we've talked about. Why can I say this? Look with me. 
Paul says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What in the world is Paul getting at? First of all, he's talking about the things that you now have, that he has, and that you have because you're part of the family. Now, it's not... When he talks about riches, he's not talking about physical riches, okay? There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the name of Christianity that I stand firmly against, and you need to hear me say this, that says if you're a Christian, God will make you rich. Not Christianity. Then I'll die on that hill. And I want you to know that is precisely what he's not talking about. He's talking about spiritual riches. What are spiritual riches? Here's a short way of saying it. They are those spiritual gems, those gems that are true about you because of your union with Christ. If you're in Christ, these are the things that you have. And what do we do with our riches in a a physical sense? We draw on them, we use them, we spend them to gain things. Does that make sense? And I want you to think about your spiritual riches in that way. You're going, great, Ryan, I still don't know what they are. Well, they're the totality of God's promises to you. Here's a few of them. Look back with me in in Ephesians chapter 1 if you have your Bible. He says that you have the forgiveness of your trespasses, that He's lavished upon you in all wisdom, making known to you the mystery of His will according to His purpose. He has set forth a plan for you. He has given you hope. I'm going over to chapter 2. But God being rich in His mercy with a great love that He has made us, that when we were dead, we were made alive. That you were raised up with Him. That these are the promises that are true about you. And that on your dying day, when your bank account matters no more, these are the things that are still irreducibly true about you and that are for you to draw on. Secondly, about this point, Paul says that these riches are, are, in, are unsearchable. Literally, they mean inestimable. Do you know that our universe, as they figured them out, it's like a big sphere. That's all we know so far. And if you were to take the diameter across that sphere... It is 92 billion light years across. Now, that's just a number that's so massive. I don't even know what to do with it. But you know what a light year is. It's the distance that light travels in a year. Okay? That's pretty stinking far when it's traveling at, what, 386,000 meters per second or miles an hour? I can't remember, science folks. Meters per second? doesn't matter. I'm moving on. Really fast. Okay? Here's the thing. It's like scientists look out into outer space and with each glance through the telescope, a new nook of the universe unravels for them. Something that they've never seen before. And that's what Paul wants you to know about the riches that you have in Christ. It's like a book. The best story of your life. And you keep reading and you keep turning the page, and there's more to the story. It just keeps on going. It's your favorite musical or whatever that keeps on going. It's all of the promises of God. All of them 
are yours for an infinite drawing upon. And that's what Paul wants you to know. He's saying that your spiritual bank account has just skyrocketed because you have been brought in to the family. That that's the mystery. You got in. And because you got in, now you have all of these spiritual resources and blessings. Lastly, we are players on the cosmic stage. Look with me at verses 10 through 11. Paul says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's been said by the bard that all the world's a stage. And men and women are merely players. Have you guys heard that before? Okay, it's Shakespeare. And from his play, As You Like It. And what is he saying? He's saying that all of us, you, me, are players. We're the ones who participate in a play. We're putting on a show on the world's stage. And what Paul is saying is that that's exactly right. But I want to go a step further. Paul is saying that there is an entity that you're a part of that somebody's looking at. What do I mean? Here's the metaphor. You and me, if you are in Christ, the church, that is what you are. Okay? I'm not talking about the place that you don't go to or go to on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about the fact that you are a Christian and that because you're a Christian, you are the church. You're part of the church more appropriately. Okay? Now, as you and I live out our lives loving one another, forgiving one another as we're supposed to, do you realize what happens? This really is amazing. The angels look on and are amazed. What this is saying is is that it's in the church, the people of God, that God's plan to sum up everything in the person of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that it's in the church, it's in the church, it's in the church that God is doing that. And it's as if the angels and the demons themselves are seeing it going, oh my, I never saw that coming. That the way that God was going to put everything under Jesus' feet was through the church. That's absolutely astounding, y'all. Here's a couple of things that this means. First, there is a corporate nature to your salvation. Here's what I mean. Jesus never says, it's just you and me, buddy. I'm so glad I saved Garrett, Kelly, whoever. Life is so good. God doesn't say that. He says He prepares Himself a bride, a people, a corporate entity. And you cannot, it is impossible to be 
apart in fellowship with Jesus apart from that. I'm not talking about Sunday morning stuff here. We're getting there. I'm talking about it's impossible for you somehow to be a part of what God is doing apart from the corporate people of God called the church. What does that mean? That means... Hang on, because I'm going to get at... Some of y'all are going to like... You're like putting the ammo in the shotgun. It's like, say it, Anderson. Say it. And I'm going to say it. What this means is, is that if you're a Christian, you are the church. You are the church. Does Paul want you to go to church? Yes, but here's why. Why? He's saying you are the church, so go be the church in a church. Does that make sense? You are the church, so go be the church in a church somewhere. If you were to say, Jesus, I'm so glad that I got up on Sunday morning and I just went for a walk with you in the park and it was awesome. And that's your regular paradigm. Jesus is going to go, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Or if this is your mentality, you know what my favorite church is? It's like, you know, Mattress Baptist. I just love to stay in my bed. I like to like, you know, pull the head, covers up over my head. Just whip out my Bible, pray a little bit. And that's my church that I had. And Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to slap you upside the head or something and go, what are you thinking? That's not what it looks like to be a Christian. That's not it. That doesn't work. That's a non-category for me. You're part of the body. This is who you are. You're meant to live that out in corporate fellowship with people. Does that make sense? Y'all look. I know you come to RUF, but it ain't church. It's not. It's not. And here's the thing. One of these days, RUF's going to end for all of you. Then what? Are you going to be the loner? I sure hope not. I sure hope not. That's why I encourage you. Find a church. If you need one to go with, I can see ten people in here who go to different churches across the city and they'll go with you. They'll take you with them. It'll be awesome. If you want a ride, I'll give you a ride to church. You can come with me and Laura. But you need to be a part of that. It is essential for your spiritual growth. I'll put a finer point on it. Some of y'all are struggling spiritually right now because you hate the church. That is why some of y'all are spiritually dying. It's because you have been cut off. You have cut yourself off from the very place that is meant to give you life. And I'm saying, come back. Be a part of fellowship. I mean, I'm about to cry because I want you to be a part of this. You're killing yourselves. If you need encouragement, come to me. I'll encourage you. I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to encourage you. I get loud because I get excited. How are we going to do this? How are we going to live as this sort of people? I want to read you a story that I'm winding down. And I have no idea what time it is. Who's got the time? Because I know people need to go. 50? Three minutes. A book. Brennan Manning. The Ragamuffin Gospel. Quick short story. I'm... We're landing this plane. In his book, Mortal Lessons, Dr. Richard Selzer writes, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies. Her face, her face post-operative, 
her mouth twisted in a palsy, clownish face. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, whoa, sorry, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself? He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. Y'all, you got to see Jesus doing that for you. You got to see the King of Kings taking your warped face because He loves you. And He goes to the place of the deepest intimacy to show you that it's still alive and it's still kicking. Some of y'all need to know the kiss of Jesus tonight. And that is the only way, the only way that your heart is ever going to be moved to begin living like Paul has set forth. You were an outsider. You were made family. Your riches are inestimable. And the fact is now that you're a, you're a player on the stage and the cosmos watches on. Let's pray. God, this is good news. Thank You for Your stunning grace. We pray this in Your name. Amen.